Hello everybody, this is our seventh sermon looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're in Matthew 6 verses 19 to 34 and we're looking at Jesus teaching to us that we are not to worry. I want to begin with some questions to get us thinking and to help us apply this passage to our lives. I don't want to know the answers but I encourage you to honestly answer them for yourselves. What were our last three significant purchases? By that I mean things we had to think about before we handed over the payment. How many of them were solely for us? How many of them did we stop and ask what God might have to say about us spending our money in that way? Now, you may be thinking, what right is Andrew to be asking us questions like that? What has our personal spending got to do with church or God? Well, actually, the Bible teaches us that what we do with our money has everything to do with God. This is because the one thing that has the greatest potential to trip us up, distract us or stop us becoming like Jesus in life is money. What we do with money is perhaps the most important area of our discipleship. Because where we put our money is where we put our heart. And God wants us to set all of our heart on him and his purposes. To God, a divided heart is a broken heart. In verses 19 to 24 of our reading, Jesus makes three statements on how wealth can divide our hearts, and we need to hear all three. The first warning in verses 19 to 21 is this. Beware of having two treasures in your heart. In Jewish culture, material wealth was important because it was seen as a sign of God's blessing, a reward for godly obedience. But not all the Jews were naive. Many of the prophets knew how easily wealth could corrupt a person. How swiftly a person could go from appreciating God's blessing to trying to acquire more of it in unjust ways. Acquiring wealth, therefore, can be deceptive. It can be a great reward from God, but perhaps much more often it is a danger. Wealth gives us a false sense of security, an inaccurate sense of our standing before God. We might think that we have everything sussed with life, when actually our walk with God is in tatters. Money can tell many lies and make us lie to ourselves. So Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In actual fact, there's a wordplay in there to hammer the point home. The Greek says, do not treasure up for yourself treasure on earth. Jesus makes the point abundantly clear. Do not commit your whole life to storing up or treasuring wealth. It will only do one thing. It will divide your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Besides, treasuring up earthly riches is foolish anyway, as they will only rust or fade, get eaten by moths or stolen by thieves. And ultimately they will count for nothing, because you cannot take them with you beyond death. So Jesus says instead, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. 
Treasure that cannot be moth-eaten or destroyed by rust or stolen away. Now let's just pause there a minute. What are treasures in heaven? Well, in the next verse we get a hint. They are works of the heart. Because Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Put simply, what is the highest value in your heart? God or yourself? The greatest treasure in heaven is being with the Father. If we walk through life with our hearts undivided and set on him, it will totally change the way we live. All the other treasures in this world will pale in comparison. If we put God first and determine to do what he wants us to do, it will change our discipleship, our priorities, our motives, our ambitions, our security, our self-worth, our relationships. The list goes on. The heart is the driving force of our lives. Put God first in it and we shall live as heaven on earth. Put God first, we should become more like him every day. We'll be generous, open-handed, giving away all that we can, a blessing to those in need, a pleasure to be around. But if we put ourselves first and treasure earthly things... We should become selfish, hard-hearted. No one will want to know us. On the day we die, our lives will have counted for nothing. We can't take riches with us. And worst of all, we shall not have shined like a light at all. We will have blessed no one else. What we do with our money is important. If we're keeping it all for ourselves and not giving to God and to those in need, we are endangering our hearts. We are training it for bad. We are not becoming like Jesus. But where Jesus says of having two treasures in your heart. In his second woman in verses 22 to 23, Jesus takes this further and says, beware of having two eyes to your heart. Here Jesus is reiterating his teaching that we must train ourselves to prioritise the right thing. The eye is like a lamp that illuminates the body. What we take in through our eyes affects our heart. And we all know this to be true. When we walk past an attractive shop window, we want what is inside. Big business takes this to an epic scale. Walk through Leicester Square in London or Times Square in New York and you're hit by electronic flashing screens and adverts the size of a house. It even works with children. Show them an advert before Christmas of the latest toy and they will set their hearts on it and end up pestering their parents for weeks. What we set our eyes on affects our hearts. If we really think about it, we know it's true. Well, Jesus is clear. We need to set our eyes on light. We need to have tunnel vision, a singleness of purpose and be constantly looking to the things of God. Do that and we will fill our hearts with good things. If we, however, constantly set our eyes on the things of the dark world around us, our hearts too will darken. If we're never satisfied and are always touring the shops and the online stores and the catalogues, we will always want more. We'll be training ourselves to be more and more selfish and more and more self-important. Our lives are becoming darker and soon character traits like envy and jealousy, bitterness and greed will be taking root. 
Beware, Jesus says, of having two eyes to your heart. Set your eyes on God. Jesus' third and final warning about wealth sums all of this up. The teaching about two treasures and two eyes climaxes with the statement of verse 24. No one can serve two masters. The word serve in this verse is actually from the Greek word for slave. No one can be a slave to two masters. And that is important because a slave is not an employee. He belongs to his master. And that is much closer to our relationship with either God or money. We belong to one or the other. The master of a slave has exclusive ownership and demands exclusive service. Well, so does God. It's simply impossible to live a life for ourselves and a life for God because he deserves all of us. We pick this up further as Jesus continues. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That is a radical call. God wants unconditional commitment. We must reject the things that we know distract us from him and in turn give ourselves completely to love him and become like him. And just in case we haven't got the message, Jesus finishes by saying, you cannot serve both God and money. The word money is capitalised here because in Greek the word is mammon. Jesus is personifying earthly wealth and riches and property as a rival god, mammon, the god of materialism. And let's be honest, the temptation to worship this god is huge. Mammon has more followers in this world than any other god put together. To Jesus, love of money is idolatry And ultimately we face a choice. Either we offer our devotion to God or to the idol. You see, loving God is not just a matter of warm, fuzzy emotions and the singing of a few songs on a Sunday. It is a serving, a giving of ourselves completely to him with heart, mind and strength. And it's in this giving to God, often through the way we give away our riches to help those in need, that we become like him. We become a bit more like the Jesus who, when he was nailed to the cross, had open hands, not the tightly clenched fists of those of a money grabber. We also become a little bit more like salt and light, serving God's kingdom in the world, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So the three warnings are clear. Let us treasure being like God, not like our mates. Let us set our eyes on Jesus and not on the latest consumer craze. Let us serve God and give to him, not stockpile sacrifices to the idle mammal. But at this point, a natural question arises. If we choose God as our master and set our eyes to follow him and place all of our sense of value in heaven, who will take care of our daily needs on earth? I don't know about you, but my parents always told me to be saving money away just in case. Well, Jesus knows that this is a very understandable question and has the answer ready. We are not to worry. God will take care of our basic needs so that we can pay attention to more important issues like seeking kingdom growth and striving to be more like him. In verse 25, Jesus begins, Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. 
Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? In other words, if God gave you your life and your body, will he not also give you food and clothing for it? The implied answer is, of course he will. Trust him, not money. But still, if you're anything like me, you need a bit more help with this. This is a tough call to stop relying on material things and start relying on God for our future security. But fortunately, Jesus knew this was tough. So he goes on to give some more examples, these being rooted in the very order of creation itself. Jesus says, look at the birds, verse 26. God feeds the birds, even though unlike us, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. God feeds them. And are we not of far more value to him than they are? Human beings are the crown and glory of his creation. Do not worry about food, Jesus says. It does not help. It will not make your life last any longer. Again, Jesus says, see how the lilies of the field grow. Verse 28. They do not labour or spin, and yet they're so beautiful. God clothes them with even more splendour than that of the richest king in history, King Solomon. And are we of not of even more value than these? The lilies and the grasses only survive for a season, and yet God has plans for us for eternity. Do not worry about clothing, Jesus says. Worrying just casts doubt on God. It only serves to weaken your faith. Do not do that. Do not act like the pagans of this world who spend their lives scurrying around, obsessed by personal success and physical security. The big house, the big car, the job ladder, the expensive insurance package. Trust your father. He knows exactly what you need. In many ways, as Jesus spoke this message to poor farmers on the rural hills of Galilee, this message was even more radical than it is for us today. These men and women really did worry about where food and clothing were coming from. But Jesus says that God will supply. If they fear God, then they will have nothing to fear. It's a wonderful message, a liberation from constant anxiety. And Jesus wants them and us to use that freedom well. If we're no longer solely focused on achieving material security, we can focus on something more important. In verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, if we truly know that God will provide, we can live all out for him through the service of others. In London, I did the funeral of a man who was a model example of this. He used to work in a very well-paid job building weapons. When he felt God challenged this, he left his job and became a social worker, taking a huge pay cut and moving his family in the process. That family struggled financially for a while, but God provided there was always enough. By that man courageously doing this, many lives were blessed rather than destroyed. And what I took away from that funeral was this. Give to God and he will look after you. Fear God and you will have nothing to fear. Serve him with your money. Be as generous as you can. Seek to bless others. And in doing so, you'll become more like the God who gave everything for us on the cross. As we draw to an end, I hope that we can see that this is not just a rant about money. 
This is not God being penny-pinching or mean, stopping us having the finer things in life. This is all about mission. This is about us becoming a light to the world. These passages do not mean that we shouldn't save for our children to go through university or for our retirement. That's wise. That's being a good steward. But they do mean that we should stop being selfish. Stop stockpiling for ourselves and instead live for the benefit of others. Let us see our money and our wealth as a great resource for mission and kingdom building. After all, none of it's ours. We're just looking after it for a time. When we die, God will pass it on to someone else. Let us all consider how we can use what we have to serve God and to witness to others. I would like to close by returning to those opening three questions. What were our last three significant purchases? How many of them were for ourselves? How many did we stop and think what God might say about them? And let me ask one more. Do we need to change what we make the next three significant uses of our money?